The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Monday, June 12th, 2023. This is the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. Alongside me, as always, is Carter Bird. Carter, happy Monday. Hope you're doing well. How was your weekend, brother? How was good? It was good, Jacob. How was uh, how's everything with with you? It was good. Yeah, it was a it was a good, a very busy, uh, very busy weekend. Uh, Friday, we went and set up at the uh, downtown Summer Night Art Walk in downtown Auburn. Uh, we went and set up our our Auburn Network tent and, and gave away t shirts and cups and koozies and pens and stress balls and whatever else we could find. Uh, prize wheel. Look, man, people love a prize wheel. They do. They love a prize wheel with uh with free stuff and so we gave out all sorts of of auburn network and our radio station gear and so we did that on friday uh saturday i actually went over into columbus and i was the pa announcer for the columbus lions on saturday night i had never done that and um, was that? it was good yeah it was good it was interesting it was definitely it was definitely different um you know i obviously do sports talk radio and then do play-by-play and it was <laughs> It was kind of that, I guess. I mean, it's kind of hard to explain, but no, it was good. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And uh, so, yeah, did that Saturday and then was supposed to play golf yesterday, but the on and off rain and lightning and thunderstorms and stuff uh, threw a wrench into that. And also, did you know that people got hail in Auburn yesterday? Uh, I thought I may have heard some. It hailed, yeah. The the weather was was rough there for for a uh, bit i thought i was gonna lose power at my house yeah it, apparently because i uh i filled in for ben this morning on auburn up like this morning and talking to chef mark from Aricia, he said that he got hail at his house he lives out by uh by the park and he got he got hail yesterday and i was like what i i, I knew the weather was bad but did not know it hailed but uh, yeah so all 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 good weekend uh very busy glad to be back in the studio on a monday afternoon and so uh, hopefully all of our listeners had a great weekend as well got a lot to talk talk about today a lot to recap a lot of baseball to talk about with the super regionals uh, almost wrapped up we got two games going on tonight uh, and then everybody will have their tickets punched to omaha uh, as of a couple of minutes ago we have some news about alabama baseball and who they are hiring as their head coach and so we'll talk about that a little bit as well uh, we have a really good question of the day we'll also give you our best and worst things that we saw for in sports from over the weekend we do that every single monday uh, we have some Auburn football to talk about because Hugh Freeze and, and the boys just keep bringing guys on campus. I mean, it, it's something like we've really never seen uh, in Auburn football. And so they're just getting guys on campus. We'll talk about that throughout the show today. Uh, 
and then we'll talk about the NBA Finals a little bit as Game 5 is tonight. And then in hour number two, Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network will join us. So very, very busy show today. Uh, phone lines are open, though. We'd love to hear from you. Anything on your mind in the sports world, the reactions from over the weekend? Oh, we have golf to talk about, too. I mean, there's a lot going on uh, that we have to to get you caught up on here on the Monday edition of On the Line. But again, phone lines are open. Call in, be a part of the show, and be on the line. 334-321-1390. That number again, 334-321-1390. And Carter will jump right into it as we recap the Super Regional Weekend. Again, it will get concluded tonight with Tennessee Southern Miss. Uh, That game is at 5 o'clock. And then uh, you also, uh, also tonight you have Texas and Stanford. But before we start talking about the games and the results, the news that we have, uh, Alabama baseball, after what ended up being a successful season, and I'm sure we'll discuss this, uh, what ended up being a successful season for them in the midst of a disaster, they have found their new head coach, and the debate was, do they promote from within, or do they hire outside, and they went with the, the second option, and they hired uh, from the outside. Yeah, they uh, hired Rob Vaughn, the Maryland coach, uh, who's done a great job in his not very lengthy tenure at Maryland. He was an assistant at Kansas State uh, and an assistant at Maryland before that I think he played at Kansas State, actually, uh, and a few years, a couple years in the minor leagues. Uh, but since taking over at Maryland, he is, he's gone 183 and 115. Uh, he's taken them to three straight NCAA regionals. Uh, they won the regular season in 2022. Uh, they won the regular season and the conference tournament in 2023. Uh, I think they... I, think they hosted these past two years if I recall correctly I'm not exactly 100% sure there uh but I think that that this is a strong hire Um, back-to-back Big Ten coach of the year yeah yeah I mean I think he is a very uh good coach somebody who's had a lot of success um five and four in postseason play um I mean he's a really really good coach Fairly young guy, 35 years old, uh, guy who, if it works out for Alabama, he could be there a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how this um, plays out because there's not really a natural connection to Alabama or the Southeast that jumps out to me mm-hmm. here. He's from Corpus Christi, went to Kansas State, uh, he's been assistants at Kansas State and Maryland before taking over the Maryland job. I do wonder how he's going to go head-to-head on the recruiting trail against Carl Nonamaker and Butch Thompson at Auburn. I'm interested in a couple of things. Um, I'm interested in in the Alabama fan response. I'm interested in the Alabama team response. And then ultimately, and I want to hear your thoughts on this and our listeners as well, I'm interested in what the overall response will be that the fact that Alabama went outside and hired somebody different rather than promoting and taking off the interim tag from coach Jason Jackson, who took over after Brad Bohannon was fired. I'm, I'm interested to see where you stand on this. And then if our listeners have, have a, a comment on this and how Alabama fans are going to feel too, because this was a debate after Alabama lost over the weekend in the super regionals to, to a really, really good wake forest team. 
the, the discussion became, okay, does Jason Jackson be promoted? Does the interim tag come off? And does he take over this program? Or does Alabama go outside and find somebody different? And obviously, they go with Vaughn uh, from Maryland. Yeah, I, I really... I'm going to be curious to see how Alabama fans react to this because, again, I come back to this is a really good coach. This is a really, really good coach. But it's not like there aren't a ton of super strong ties to the to the SEC, um, Alabama. I don't know. I just think it's I think it's an interesting hire. It could work out and it could go really well, but I could also see um I I wonder if it maybe not going to end in the same amount of controversy, but I think about Sonny Galloway getting hired at Auburn, mm-hmm. somebody who had a track record, had never really been to the SEC, didn't really have strong Auburn connections, um, got hired because he had a strong resume in a different conference somewhere else. And it was fine for a little while, and then it ended in shambles. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how this how this uh, takes place. I'm you- curious to see uh, Vaughn was making three hundred thousand dollars a year um at or that was his base salary at Maryland. I am curious because I think Bohannon was paying uh Bohannon was paid five hundred thousand dollars a year. So I gotta assume he's gonna be at that level or higher. I think he would be higher than Bohannon because of the track record he has as a head coach. Bohannon was an assistant at Auburn when he took over the Alabama job. Well, according to this article I have pulled up from the Alabama Rivals site, and it was written earlier today, about an hour ago, when they were expected, Alabama was expected to hire him. Uh, They bring up that exact point. Uh, They were paying him $300,000 as well as the, or Vaughn was making $300,000 base salary and a $150,000 supplemental annual income. According to sources, again, this is Alabama Rivals, Vaughn is expected to make somewhere between $600,000 and $750,000 if he's hired by Alabama. So he would get basically double his salary from Maryland to Alabama. And, I mean, great for him, right? Great for him. You take, you're taking a step up in, in your job. Obviously, talking Big Ten baseball versus SEC baseball, we've been pumping that all spring long. Um, but interested to get your thoughts on this, Carter, and I want to give mine as well. The uh, again, the debate was did uh, there were a couple ways to go about this. Did Jason Jackson deserve to be promoted and, and take over this program for Alabama? He led them to a 13 and six record, got them to the super regionals after Brad Bohanna was fired, after a dark cloud had had began to hover over the Alabama program at Tuscaloosa. He took over, the team rallied, it seemed like they really responded well to him, and they made it to a super regional. And so did he deserve to get the job, or was it the right move by Alabama to go outside of that coaching carousel and find somebody completely new? You know, I think that, I think that Jason Jackson certainly has an argument. I think he certainly does. Uh, the way that he rallied that team around, um, around him, I guess, as, after the Brad Bohannon. Um, situation it would have been really easy for that Alabama team to pack it in and say you know what like we're just gonna go through the motions for the rest of the year and we are going to run it back next year but instead they rallied they went 13 and 7 uh, 7 and 2 in conference play uh, under Jason Jackson as they 
really surged up the SEC ranking, surged into a position to host, took care of business in their regional. Part of me does wonder, is the conversation a little more favorable to Jason Jackson if they don't lose 22-5 to yesterday? And get just smoked. Is that on him, course. though? I mean, is that on the the interim coach when I you go? I don't think it is, but but I think if you're if you win a game at Wake Forest and all three games are close the way the, the first one was, and I think it makes it a little more difficult to make this move at, le- at least as quickly as Alabama did. Um, I I am curious to see what happens with Jason Jackson. I mean, I don't I don't see him. I have a hard time seeing him staying on staff as um, an assistant coach under Rob Vaughn. I think he's going to end up going somewhere else. Uh, I think he may have a chance to get a head coaching job somewhere. Who knows? Um, but this is he made a little more sense to me for a potential um, Alabama head coach because he's from Florida. He went to FSU, a little more southeastern ties. He was uh, a pitching coach at North Florida Community College, at Mercer, South Alabama, FAU, an assistant at Alabama for six, seven years. Mm-hmm. The ties to the SEC, the ties to the southeast, the ties to Alabama are a lot stronger I wonder if this is a situation where we look at it four or five years from now and Jason Jackson is a head co- a successful head coach somewhere else and the Rob Vaughn experiment has fallen on its face. Very well could. And that's the thing. That's the that's the risk that you're taking, right? But the the comparison that I made uh, sometime last week, I can't remember exactly what day, uh, but the comparison I made was when Auburn football was trying to figure out who they were going to hire when Brian Harson was fired and Coach Cadillac took over, right? Now, the difference in these two situations is the fact that Jackson has a lot of coaching experience. Yes. Cadillac has some, but Jackson has a lot. And I think you can make the argument that Jason Jackson had the resume to be a head coach. Yeah. Cadillac did not, and that's what we talked about in the moment, in the end of the fall, was Cadillac can be that one day, but he's not there yet. And so I think that's the difference in these situations. Now, I think it's smart by Alabama to go outside and get somebody new. Sure, it's a risk, but I think it's the smart thing to do given how the the basically the drama went down within the program. I just think that's tough, and that's nothing against the people in that room and in that clubhouse or in that program, mm-hmm. but... In my opinion, I just think in this given situation, for Alabama's safety, it just seems like a better idea to go outside and get somebody new and, and maybe try to get that that quote-unquote fresh start. That's that's kind of where I go on that. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at Jason Jackson's resume, it's relatively – I mean, I, I think you can look at what happened at Georgia. Georgia hired Wes Johnson. I know Wes Johnson had – uh, some experience as a pitching coach for the Minnesota Twins. But, I mean, he hasn't been a head coach of a baseball team uh, back since he was the head coach at Abundant Life High School in Sherwood, Arkansas. Uh, he was a pitching coach at Central Arkansas, Southern Arkansas, 
Uh, back to Central Arkansas, Dallas Baptist, Mississippi State, Arkansas, before going to be the pitching coach for the Twins. And then he ended up at LSU this past year. Now he's the head coach at Georgia. I thought Jason Jackson had a maybe not quite as strong resume in terms of where all he's been prior to this year, but the fact that he did take over as interim head coach and the team responded the way that he did, I think you can make a comparison between Jason Jackson and Wes Johnson. I think Jason Jackson will probably end up being a head coach somewhere, whether it's it's a high major power five type school or it's a mid-major school out there. Uh, as this coaching carousel continues to move, as it's going to spin round and round and round and stuff, I mean, it's going to continue to... This is not going to be settled for a long time just because of the movement. I mean, now Maryland's open. Somebody's got to fill Maryland. Uh, Somebody's got to fill schools like Cincinnati. Um, I mean, I think... I'm pretty sure your Miami coach um, is gone in some capacity as well. You've got all of these openings. Penn State, uh, Washington State. Only more and more openings are going mm-hmm. to, to, to come open, and I'm curious to see what happens. Well, we'll talk some more about this. Also talk about the results from the Super Regional weekend, but definitely wanted to mention uh, the fact that Alabama baseball has hired or is going to hire a new coach. We're going to get to the phone line. Shane, hold on. We'll get to you on the other side of the break. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners. 334-321-1390. We'll have Shane join us on the other side here on the Monday edition of On the Line. On the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Let's get to the phone lines here on the Monday edition of On the Line, 334-321-1390. Shane, you're on the line. Welcome in, man. We lost him. Shane, do we... Oh, we may have lost him. Okay, apologies. I guess we lost Shane. Maybe uh, Shane, if you want to call back, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, 334-321-1390 or anybody else that wants to call in and talk uh, a little baseball with us right now. Uh, we've yet to get to uh, any of the results because we are talking about the news that Alabama is expected to hire. Uh, their, new, their new baseball coach is uh, going to be Rob Vaughn from Maryland. And so uh, we were talking about the just the, the whole situation, right? And, and look, as we get into the results, we'll talk about this. Credit to Alabama. We've said it multiple times. We talked about it with Andy Burcham last week. But credit to that Alabama team and program because they went through, uh, I mean, they, they went through a really, really tough situation when your head coach gets fired uh, and for, fired for the things that he did. And they bounced back and became a really good ball club. Yeah. They became a really good team. And they hosted a regional in Tuscaloosa. Yes, they were the 16th seed, so if they won, they had to go to Wake Forest, and we saw how that happened and how that went down this weekend. Um, but credit to them and where it's due. And so they hire a new coach. They hire from the outside. I was talking about how I think with this Alabama team and their program and how or where they are right now and where they've been through, I think it's smart for them to go outside and hire somebody new And again, that has nothing to do with anybody in that organization right now, especially nothing against Jason Jackson, who I agree with you, I think will be a head coach somewhere. Yeah, I part of me something I hadn't I didn't think about in the first segment, but part of me wonders if 
because you hired an assistant this past time and it went it was not necessarily going poorly on the field but with the way that that went you didn't want to hire an assistant again uh you didn't want to hire somebody from the staff that had the issues that just took place i don't think that's fair but i do wonder if that crossed the minds uh the mind of greg byrne yeah that's fair uh, as he was trying to make this this decision Mm -hmm. on who to hire yeah that the direction i was going was hiring somebody on the staff when all of that went down which i I agree whether it's fair or not that's a whole separate argument but i i definitely think that had something to do with it but that's a good point you bring up too is you're hiring if you're alabama you're hiring rob vaughn who is a head coach who's been a head coach for a good amount of time and has the experience of truly running a program from right now the day after your season ends all the way until first pitch on opening day, all the way through the season and into the postseason, where Jason Jackson with Alabama had the back end of the SEC schedule and postseason play. And so not saying he couldn't do it, not at all. And he very well might. He very well might go somewhere and do just that and be successful and and more power to him. But I think that's a really good perspective on that, Carter, is the fact that maybe Alabama said, you know what, we're going to hire a head coach to come in and basically elevate our program because Rob Vaughn did a really good job at Maryland, man. Back-to-back Big Ten Coach of the Year, that's nothing to, to, to sleep on. I mean, that's... Yeah, no, I think that that's, I mean, that's really strong. The Big Ten's not a great baseball conference, but generally you've got a couple programs up there that are pretty good year in, year out. Michigan's been up there recently. Indiana uh, sometimes is up there. They were kind of up there this year. Uh, but Maryland's probably over the past decade or so or so been the most consistent program uh in the big 10 and if you're maryland you got to be a little frustrated right now because that's now two coaches in a row who were successful uh they were winning a lot of games at maryland that have now left you for a job somewhere else Mm -hmm. um i mean their their previous coach I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name correctly, but it's John, and his last name is S-Z-E-F-C. He left Maryland to take the Virginia Tech job after um, he went 30-25 and his first year, 40-23 and in year two, and 42-24 and year three before 30-27, and left for the Virginia Tech job. Uh, Now you've got Rob Vaughn who after a few years here, uh, after like five, six years, is leaving for Alabama. That's two coaches in a row, and I do wonder where Maryland is at yeah. mentally heading into uh, this carousel that they're they're about to have to go through. Well, look at the last two years for Maryland baseball under head coach Rob Vaughn. Last year led Maryland to a school record 48 wins, And then they hosted an NCAA regional for the first time in program history. So last year, not this past year, but the year before, was, you could make the argument, the best season in Maryland baseball history. This year, they finished 42-21, and they won the Big Ten Conference Tournament, and then they went to the Winston-Salem Regional. So they've had two really, really good years. Mm -hmm. Last year was their best year ever. This year was pretty darn good for them. And as you mentioned, it is the Big Ten but it's the Big Ten. So you're having to recruit guys to come play in the Big Ten versus playing in the SEC or what have you. So 
I think it's a look. He's a good coach. Will it transfer to Alabama and Tuscaloosa in the South? And as you mentioned, not really having deep Alabama SEC ties. We're going to find out. But the discussion of whether it should have been Jason Jackson or somebody else, not saying Jackson didn't deserve it. I just didn't. I didn't think he was going to get it. And it turns out they're hiring Rob Vaughn from the outside. And, and again, I just think that for Alabama, that's just a a protection thing, a safety thing, in my opinion. That's just what it comes off to me as. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally understand it. I get it. Um, Not saying it's fair by any yeah. means. Not saying it's fair to Jason Jackson, but it is. I mean, what do you I mean, do? There's, there's a bunch of uh, assistant jobs open around the country if Jason Jackson had to end up somewhere. Uh, I mean, there's, there's openings at schools like uh, Georgia Tech, Mississippi State, Mississippi State would be an interesting spot for him if he can't get a head coaching job because Scott Foxhall, the former Auburn assistant, former NC State assistant, uh, he is no longer there uh, on that staff. If you're Jackson, are you looking to leave Alabama? If they passed you over yes. for this, are you looking to leave? Yes. I mean, 99% of the time, the interim can't stay on staff with the new head coach. Cadillac Williams is an exception. And I think that that <laughs> yeah. is because what we've talked about, he knew he wasn't going to be – he wasn't going to get a head coaching job somewhere else. One, two, he needed more time as an assistant coach to continue to learn. Um, and I think Hugh Freeze is a guy who can give him that opportunity. Uh, and three, the deep, deep, deep ties to Auburn and how much deeper those ties got this past year. I think allow for it to happen. That doesn't happen very often where the interim head coach stays on staff under the new regime. Some interesting points and notes as Alabama seems to be hiring their new head baseball coach. When we come back, we'll talk about all the results from the Super Regionals this weekend as most of the teams have punched their ticket to Omaha. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Halfway through hour number one here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. He's Carter Bird. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067. Well, been talking about the Alabama coaching hire for Alabama baseball. It is Rob Vaughn from, or going to be Rob Vaughn from Maryland. Uh, but Carter, want to discuss about the actual results from over the weekend uh, in the Super Regionals. Have yet to really get to that outside of Alabama uh, running through the buzzsaw of Wake Forest. But from over the weekend, you had Wake Forest in Alabama. You have Stanford in Texas, which game three of that series will be tonight. You had LSU and Kentucky. Tennessee and Southern Miss, that game three will be tonight. That game starts, I believe, at 5 o'clock uh, Central Time. You had ten- TCU and Indiana State. Oral Roberts and Oregon, Virginia and Duke, and then South Carolina and Florida. Uh, which one of these results, and we'll talk about them all, and we'd love to hear from you, our listeners, 334-321-1390. Which result surprises you the most out of all the winners and the teams that have punched their ticket to Omaha? Uh, I guess it doesn't, not necessarily surprising me the most, but I think it was really impressive to watch a Virginia team that dropped their first game in a tough one, 5-4 to Duke, come back and emphatically win the next two, 14-4 to 
and I think 12 to 2 to take that series. I think if you look at most surprising, Earl, Earl Roberts becoming the third four seed to make it to Omaha after 2008 Fresno State and I think 2012 or 2013 Stony Brook. Uh, made it as well. That Stony Brook team could hit so many home runs. They were so much fun to watch. Um, Of course, that Fresno State, what makes them so significant is they won it all. They won it all um, as a four seed, which is the only time that that's happened. Um, But yeah, I mean, those two stand out to me. Um, And then I guess the other thing is whatever the heck we saw yesterday by Stanford just Jeez. letting that hanging that pitcher out to dry and the guy pitched yeah. a heck of a game and yeah, credit he did. to him for battling through it but what are we doing like why we've been having this he, discussion too too often it seems like over the past couple of weeks nine inning complete game eight hits three earned runs one walk 16 strikeouts unbelievable gave up a home run Threw 156 pitches. That's that ridiculous. should not happen. That's, That's unbelievable. In, in the era of baseball that we are in now, which is all about protecting the players, all about protecting their arms. I mean, we we, we are seeing <clears throat> elbow injuries, shoulder injuries, Tommy John, more and more often in young kids, high schoolers. That's why we have these pitch counts. That's why... You don't see guys go that far over 100 pitches anymore, even at the big leagues. 156 watch, pitches is ridiculous. Yes. To watch, and not in a good way. Yes. To watch Stanford make him throw 156 pitches, and I know he pitched his butt off, and I know he was phenomenal, and he was great, and he saved the pin. That's wrong. That's wrong. I hate it. I very much question this Stanford team. I mean, we're, we're talking about what happens if – yeah, he wins that game, but at the very end, he blows out his elbow, and you potentially ruin his career just by being selfish as a coach. Well, you made the statement that baseball is, you know, where the game seems to be is protecting the players and their arms and trying to prevent injury. Is it, though? I mean, again, how yes. many times have we had this conversation over the last two weeks of this guy pitched 130 it's pitches? because this doesn't happen anymore, and yet we've seen – these past two weekends, two head scratch, three, really, I guess technically four, head scratching moments where we saw, um, we saw Southern Miss and, uh, I guess it was Penn, throw their aces for a hundred plus pitches. Tanner Hall for Southern Miss threw 123 pitches and come back and pitch later that weekend. But that's you shouldn't do that. We saw the Johns Hopkins kid throw 160 whatever pitches in a game. That should never happen. And then what happened, especially at a program like Stanford, at a program that is a top 10 program right now in college baseball, that should have the arms to say, hey, we got you in the 8th and the ninth. We Like, you, you pitched your butt off. You were great. You were unbelievable. We're not going to hang you out there to dry, to dry and potentially affect your entire career. I was about to say, you could ruin his career. You yep. could ruin it in one game by being selfish. And look, there there may have been a discussion where he says, Coach, I'm good. Put me back in. I want to keep going. And that's fine. I get that. But there's a point where if you're the head coach, 
you have to be the older guy in the room. You have to be the, the more adult. experienced guy. The adult in the room, absolutely. You have to be the adult in the room. And you have to say, look, man, I know you're feeling good. I know you're, you're, you are why we're in this game. And I would love to keep going if you were a robot. But you're not. You're not a robot. You're a human. And humans, even at the peak of their athletic ability, are not built to pitch like that on a consistent basis. And I'm not saying this is going to happen, but they're not built to do that in general. Like you have to be a freak of nature to do that. And congrats to him for being able to have the, the, the capability to do that, but that should never happen. So I'm with you. I didn't like it. I haven't liked it every time we've talked about it, but it is what it is. And it happened in in Stanford. They get a game three tonight versus Texas. Uh, Some of the results that stick out to me, uh, we talked about Alabama just, I mean, they, they, they had no chance. Um, they really didn't. They had no chance against Wake Forest. South Carolina, I said on Friday or maybe Thursday, whatever day we made picks, um, I said South Carolina would win a game. They did not. But I also said they would compete, and I think they did. I think South Carolina competed over the weekend. You lose a one-run game in the game one, and then you lose 4 nothing in game two, which 4 nothing doesn't sound very competitive, uh, especially in baseball. But given what that Florida team is, I call that competing, and especially with how South Carolina finished the year. I know they were coming into Super Regionals pretty hot with what they did in their regional, uh, scoring a ton of runs, but South Carolina competed, but Florida's moving on to Omaha. I think they have uh, a really, really good chance uh, to win it all. And then, yeah, how about Oral Roberts, man? Oral Roberts getting it done. They win in Eugene, beating Oregon in a three-game set in three games and so uh, that's it's a really really good story for them and and congratulations to them I picked the Ducks but hey Graham and Jack picked Oral Roberts you and I didn't Oregon choked that away and and then by the time they got to game three they just had no arms left game one was phenomenal yes Oregon came back and won that one game two um, Oregon had a seven to four lead and over the last three innings gave up four unanswered runs to lose the game 8-7, to seven, including two in the ninth. I mean, it's just, you got to find a way to get nine outs there if you're Oregon against this Oral, Oral Roberts team. you, um, And then eventually you run into Sunday and you just, you don't have the arms. And and it's it was evidenced by the fact that if you go look at the arms that threw on Sunday, you had two guys get through six innings, and then the remaining three innings you had... I believe seven pitchers throw, and mm. um, I think four of those pitchers, five of those pitchers, recorded two outs or less. Um, four of them recorded one out or less. It just was like you couldn't do anything right uh, on the mound. You didn't have anybody anybody to go to. I think at one point they turned it over to a kid who had thrown like six or seven innings all year. Yeah. Which is just that's that's the when you know you're when bad. You just, like, when you are like, out of of uh, arms and you yeah. don't have anywhere else to go. That's when you know you're in a bad situation. By the way, I just wanna I wanna mention this as well because Quinn Matthews, the the Stanford pitcher who threw the 156 pitches uh, yesterday, he they don't have a pitch count for his first game, which I don't know why they don't have that, but he threw for a hundred plus pitches. In every game that they have a pitch count, except two this year, he went 64 pitches against Arizona on May 26th, and 66 pitches against A&M 
on June 5th. Your second start of the year, when it's February in Stanford, California, you don't need to be throwing 100-plus pitches. That's dumb. That's really dumb. That's reckless, and I that just further instills how much I hate the way that uh, David Esker is handling this this pitching staff, these starters. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't like it either. I really don't. And, and But I think in that situation, when it is consistent where he is throwing that many pitches, seems like every time out, he has to have the, – the pitcher himself has to have a hand in that. He has to. He, I mean, there's no way that he is just laying down and saying, okay, whatever you say, coach. Like, in my opinion, and I don't know, we don't, we don't cover Stanford baseball, but in my opinion, that's how it comes off to me is the fact that he has to be like, please let me throw. <laughs> like, please let me throw. I can go long. And maybe he's just built like that. And if he is, good for him. But I'm telling you, you cannot do that long term. You cannot do it without staying or with staying healthy. It will not happen. Yeah, I mean, I the issue I have is fourteen times this year he threw more than 110 pitches. I don't care what the kid says. I don't. More than 110? Yes. Jeez. Fourteen times. I don't care what the kid says. You don't do that. There's a reason why Butch Thompson is super conservative, especially early in the year when it's cold. I'm with you. With his pitcher's arms. There's a reason why. The slightest bit of soreness, guys get shut down for a week or two. Yeah, why are we doing they, that in they, they February? Feel, they feel better. But when you have 17 starts and 14 of them, 15, or when you have 18 starts and you for 14 of them you throw 110 plus pitches, that's wrong. You can't do that. Yeah, I'm you with you. I don't care what shape the kid says he's in, what how he, he says his arm feels. You only have so many innings in your elbow. You only have so many innings in your arm. And to make them throw that many pitches all the time, that's a that's that's reckless. I don't like it. Yeah, reckless is is a good word for that. Uh, the other result that uh, I was disappointed in our upset pick over the weekend uh, did not did not pan out. Carter, we both you and I both picked the Wildcats of Kentucky to go to Baton Rouge and beat LSU. Game one, you, you, they did exactly what you thought they would do. They basically said Paul Skeens. Here you go. Here's your W. We'll move on. They lose 14-0 in game one. That's fine. Credit to that LSU offense because they were awesome. Yeah. Trey Morgan hit a couple home runs. Tommy White, a couple home runs. Uh, They were hitting home runs left, right, and center. Uh, I think they hit six as a team. Uh, You got great production out of the bottom of the order. Um, I mean, Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Trey Morgan continuing to do what they do. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's not much you can do about that if you're Kentucky, especially against when LSU decides to go out and get 15 hits and you're facing Paul Skeens, you're not going to win that game. Yeah, and you get outscored 22-3 to over the weekend and in, in, in Kentucky getting scored, shut out in Game 1 and they lose 8-3 to in Game 2. I truly believed that Kentucky could go on the road and win that series, and and that was even with giving up the game one to Paul Skeens because you're just not going to beat him. He's just that good. Um, but when you only score three runs over a weekend, how many times have we talked about that in SEC play, which is what this was, was an SEC series. Three runs isn't going to get it done, partner. It's just not. It's not going to get it done. And so Kentucky just couldn't get timely hits. And, and the game yesterday – 
they had guys on base. They scored first. They scored a run in the very first inning, and they had guys on base, and they couldn't take advantage and extend that lead anymore. And LSU's just too good, man. They're too good offensively to to let them hang around the pitching was good this weekend it was and that's something we've been critical of when it comes to LSU is outside of Paul Skeens who do they have and they showed this weekend that they have some dudes and so LSU punches their ticket uh, to Omaha the Tennessee Southern Miss series has been phenomenal and I cannot wait for game three tonight between the balls in 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 Southern Miss I'm really excited for that apparently those two fan bases are getting a little chippy with each other and uh not exactly making nice which makes it very intriguing going into game three a winner take all game back to Kentucky for a second I mean yeah they got hits they got guys on base but they they had four extra base hits in the game one double and three home runs so they had three solo home runs so the big hits came with nobody on base, right which you gotta find a way to put guys on in front of these guys that hit these home runs and I mean, that's an issue that I think Auburn ran into it sometimes this year. Uh, it felt like Bryson Ware every time would hit a big home run, but sometimes there weren't enough guys on base to tie it up. It was a big clutch moment home run, but you need um, you need guys on base. and You need the timely hitting. You got to get it. Yes, and they did not do a good job of that. Um, I'm really fascinated about this Stanford-Texas matchup because Stanford should have – um, should have a pretty decently well rested uh, bullpen, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, with, will home will homeboy be will he be available tonight? <laughs> I hope not. I hope. I mean, I hope he has like a week and a half off because that's. I hope he rolls up in sweats. Yeah, he should. He should. But I mean, this this Texas staff, this Texas team, they've been here before. They've done this before. Uh, they rallied that a heck of a rally in the ninth inning to come back and win game one. Stanford really struggled uh, in that one with, I mean, an error allowed a couple runs to score and then a couple big hits. And before you know it, you look up and Texas has a two-run lead going to the bottom of the inning. I think Texas needs to play their best wire-to-wire game to get to win this series. Really? Um because they, I mean, they were a little stagnant early in game one. Um, game two, you struck out 16 times to a guy who threw a bajillion pitches. I mean, somebody, you got to have a game that I want to see Texas jump on this Stanford team and put pressure on them early and see if Stanford can, can match them from, from the get-go. I think Stanford wins tonight, and I think Tennessee wins tonight. Those are my two picks uh, for the for the last two teams to punch the ticket, Omaha. Yeah, I think that those are pretty pretty good picks. I would I would agree with that. As I well. think, and I think that's who I picked originally too. And so we'll see. Should be two really really fun games. I uh, got to get to our final break though here in hour number one. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. We'll talk the NBA finals just a little bit as Game Five is tonight back in Denver, and then we'll get into hour number two. So give us a call. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. A couple of more minutes here on the Monday edition of On the Line, an hour number one. 
Talking a little baseball and uh, want to talk a little basketball just real quick. Uh, the NBA Finals Game 5 tonight back in Denver. The Nuggets with a 3-1 series lead. Reminder, you can catch that game live right here on ESPN 106.7. The ESPN radio broadcast, uh, it'll get going about an hour before uh, before tip-off. So 6.30 right here on ESPN 106.7, ESPNAU.com, and the ESPN 106.7 app. So if you're looking for something to... Uh, listen to tonight be sure you tune in for game five of the NBA finals again the Nuggets a 3-1 series lead Carter can Miami push this thing back to Miami for a game six or does Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets get their first ever NBA title tonight Uh, I mean I don't think I don't think Miami has enough in the tank Uh, they've it's been a grind for them all postseason uh, and this this Nuggets team is too good I just don't see it happening and I think that uh, we see the NBA Finals come to an end tonight. Tyler Hero, questionable to play. He's been upgraded to questionable. He is yet to play, uh, I believe, this entire postseason. So um, if not, he got injured early. I can't quite remember. But he, he has not played in, in quite some time. And so if he plays, does that help? It would help Miami, wouldn't I mean, you think? it helps. But to me, it doesn't change uh, the final outcome of this uh, of tonight's game. I mean, unless it is... Unless he shows something, I mean, he's got to be rusty, right? I mean, it's been a long time since he's played. I just don't, I don't see him making a difference uh, in this game. I mean, he had a broken hand. He had surgery on it. I got to assume there's no way he shoots well in a game like this if, if it comes to it. Yeah, Denver favored by, I've seen anywhere from eight and a half to nine. Uh, I don't think I've seen it go as low as eight, um, but I'm going to take Denver just because it just doesn't seem like Miami can can hang. It really, really doesn't. And here's the note that I told you about before we got on the air today. Miami, in the NBA Finals, they're down 3-1. All three games that they lost to the Nuggets, they're 0-3 when they score less than 100 points. If they The only win they have is when they scored 111 points. Miami is yet to beat Denver when they score less than 100. And I think that is on Denver's defense more than anything because Miami can score. Miami can score, and they, they've done it all postseason. But Denver has just held them, and they're playing good defense. They're communicating. They're switching. And basically, they're letting Jimmy Butler score, but they're saying, make somebody else beat us. Jimmy Butler can get his. That's cool. Somebody else has got to do it. And it hasn't seemed like they can. They've scored... 93 points, 94 points, and 95 points in their three losses, and they scored 111 in that one win. So, key to the game is simple. If you're Denver, hold Miami to under 100 points, and you're going to win the ballgame. Yeah, um, I mean, I just think that this this Nuggets team can control the game in so many aspects, control the pace, and I mean, it starts and ends with, with Jokic. I just... I don't see this going well for, for the Heat tonight. Yeah, I got Denver tonight. Tune in, though, right here, 6.30 on ESPN 106.7, Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Hour number one in the books. Stay tuned. We'll talk some college football coming up in hour number two. The following is an Auburn Network production. You. 
are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Monday, June 12th, 2023, as we get underway in hour number two here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. He's Carter Bird. I'm Jacob Goins. If you missed any of hour number one, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it one of two ways, ESPNAU.com in the podcast center, or just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast we talked all things baseball really an hour number one uh, with Alabama hiring set to hire their new baseball coach Uh, they are uh, going outside of Tuscaloosa and hiring a new coach from Maryland and so uh, Rob Vaughn if you missed our discussion on that really interesting topics that were brought up from both of us and so uh, if you missed that conversation we also talked about the results of the Super Regional this weekend including the two games going on tonight gave our picks for those so it was a really good first hour talking uh, all things college baseball so if you missed that espnau.com here on hour number two we're going to talk uh, some betting lines, early betting lines for week zero and week one in college football. Uh, they were released by uh, Circa Sports, and so we'll talk about those lines and kind of give some reactions to uh, some interesting numbers around week zero and week one of college football. Then coming up at 3.30, Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network will join us, and uh, we'll talk a lot of baseball with him, I'm sure, as well. And so until then, though, we'd love to hear from you. Join in and be on the line. 334 321-1390 that number again 334-321-1390 uh, Carter will look at these college football betting lines from or for week zero and week one according to uh, Circus Sports who it's a sports betting basically it's a sports betting book um, they released their lines early lines as it's what June 12th so we're uh, what 80 something days away now uh, from the start of college football less than that from week zero but out of all these betting lines, there's a ton of them, right? There's a lot of games in week zero and week one. Some interesting ones that stick out to you. And of course, we'll cover Auburn and the SEC schools, but just in general, uh, in these betting lines, which ones, which ones catch your eye? Well, I mean, when you start from left to right, going through these uh, with each column, the first one that jumps out to me is Vanderbilt only being an 18-point favorite at home against Hawaii. I mean, we saw how that game went last year. Uh, it was never going to be a close game. Um, I don't care what the perspective was um, about what Vanderbilt was. Hawaii was an unmitigated disaster. Timmy Chang was taking over a just black hole program. I mean, they weren't allowed to play in their own stadium. Um, Their previous coach, Todd Graham, had basically told his team previously that he was using them as a stepping stone to get to the NFL or back to a head coaching job. I can't remember which one it was. I mean, Todd Graham's own son transferred out of the program while Todd Graham was still the coach. Um, I mean, they won 63-10 to at Hawaii 
for that game. They're going to win this game by more than 18 points. Vanderbilt has gotten better in my mind. I, I think Hawaii, while they might be better, they're not going to be good enough to overcome 35 points on the road difference from the year before. I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, I, look, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt has gained my respect. You know that. I, I think looking at Vanderbilt and their schedule, they have some games where they can pick up a win or two here this year, and we'll see what happens. So, yeah, I, I love them favored by 18 points at home hammer that for Vanderbilt uh, just kind of going up and down and if you want to look at this list uh, we're looking at it from Circa Sports on Twitter they tweeted it out uh, a couple of hours ago so uh, if you're on your phone or whatever you, or computer at work you can pull this up just just search Circa Sports on Twitter and scroll down and you'll see what we're looking at but I look at the uh, the Florida and Utah line Utah spread uh, favored by 10 over the Gators I think that's pretty good because I think Utah is really good and we've talked uh, endlessly endlessly about Florida and about just how much they are going to struggle in our minds this year and so I think Utah at home favored by 10 is really good and I think they're going to I think they're going to win that game by 21 plus. I think it's it's going to be that's the game where you see hmm this Florida team this Florida team's not built to survive in the SEC and I know Utah's not an SEC team, but they're about as close as you can get for a Pac-12 team in terms of they're going to be big, they're going to be physical. Uh, I'm not sure um, Florida can guard all of the athletic tight ends that Utah has. Uh, Cam Rising is back. That Utah team, that that Utah team is better in every aspect of the game, and especially at quarterback when you have Cam Rising versus Graham Mertz. I think at, it, that, at that battle, yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's important too talking about Week Zero and Week One college football betting lines. It's tough. It's tough to predict because you are literally trying to predict what a team will look like in week zero and week one in their first game of the year, right? I mean, it, it's tough to to judge what a Florida is going to look like initially. We think we have an idea, but you don't know until they play, right? Same thing with any team on this list. You truly don't know. Now, the people out in Las Vegas, they, as I always say, they are pretty good at what they do. There are some very fancy buildings out in the West, but it's still a little tough when you look at these betting lines and you got to take them with a grain of salt because just because that's what the betting line is in week one doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. You just never know. And so, yeah, Florida, Utah, that one's interesting. How about you for being the Big Ten guy? Nebraska, Minnesota, the Gophers favored by eight over Nebraska in week in that first game. What do you think about that? Uh, I think that's Vegas giving um, a lot of respect to this new era uh, at N- Nebraska, uh, Scott Frost is no, no longer there, um, which, I mean, that's huge. Matt Rule coming in, the, what Matt Rule has done building programs uh, in the past, I think that this is a great opportunity uh, for them to build something. They're, they're never going to go back to, to what they were, uh, but eight-point dog on the road against a Minnesota team that was pretty solid last year. Um I mean, it's going to be tough for them to cover it, but I think that Nebraska team has done about as good of a job as you can at Nebraska um, to of retooling the roster. 
Yeah, I think with with that game, I think Nebraska can hang around in game one. I, I'm going to just look, we're making picks on June 12th. We will more, no doubt, talk more about these as we get closer to the football season. But just looking at these betting lines right now, as they were tweeted out earlier by Circa Sports, I'll take Nebraska right now. I'll take Nebraska plus eight in that game against Minnesota to start the year. Why not? I'll take them. Here's a game that you and I have talked uh, a ton about on and off the air. Uh, North Carolina and South Carolina, the Tar Heels, favored by two over the Gamecocks with a 61.5 total in that first game. North Carolina, South Carolina. What a fun, fun game this is going to be. Yeah. um, I think I'm going to switch up on on what I was thinking earlier today. I think South Carolina on defense, um, the defensive matchup from North Carolina to South Carolina, South Carolina's defense has to be better. That, That UNC defense has been dreadful. They're going to be better because you don't have Phil Longo calling the offense for UNC. They've got a great quarterback in Drake May. I just don't know what that if there's going to be any sort of drop off now that Longo is at Wisconsin. I feel better about the continuity of South Carolina. Thanks, South Carolina. If if you were going to ask me right now, I think they would get that one done if we, if we played it tomorrow. It's an interesting matchup with with two high level quarterbacks, right? I mean, you're you're talking about two of the of the most exciting quarterbacks in college football in North Carolina and South Carolina. And so I think two is a, a very favorable one. I think it's borderline a pick em. Uh, You could see somebody basically win by one score, and that game, judging it three months out, could be who has the ball last type of thing. Like Who, who has the ball last and who makes a drive at the end to win this thing when it's a 40-40 to 40 game? I like the over of 61.5. I think both of these teams will just go up and down the field. You just talked about the defenses. North Carolina's has been abysmal. South Carolina, not great. I think 61.5 is too low. I think both of these teams could literally score 45 points in that opening game. So that yeah. one caught my eye. I, I like it. I think, it's, I think it'll be a lot of fun. This one is not going to be exciting the media will try we, to make we, it we have to talk about it because it's going to be obnoxious yes the way that it gets they will about. they will try to make it exciting and they will try to make it seem like it's a bigger deal than it is colorado and tcu the horn frogs favored by 19 give me the horn frogs double by 19 i think i mean they're going to win by 30 points 30 so, they do lose a lot though they do lose a lot. That's that's what I'm going to come back to is we just do, we don't know what the state. Uh, I mean, they they lose the offensive coordinator, they lose the quarterback, they lose the number one receiver. I think they lose the number two receiver, if I recall correctly. I think they lose their running back. They lose so much off that offense. I think it's going to be very difficult for this TCU team to replicate anything like last year. Having said that, they're more talented. They're a more cohesive group. Uh, Colorado's going to be really, really bad, uh, and it is in Fort Worth. To start, they're also going to be better coached. TCU yes. will be. Well, yes. I, I, I mean, that's that's part of it as well. Is But I just, I'm not convinced that TCU is going to just run away and beat them by 30. I think that that line might be more interesting. And if Colorado were to cover 19, I'd be hesitant to say, oh, well, look what TCU did last year. Look at how Colorado hung with them. Colorado's better than we all thought. I don't think that's how that's going to go. I think this TCU season has a chance to be a little bit rocky. Uh, I mean, week three, you you go to Houston. That SMU team in week four is very capable of beating you. 
You have to go to Ames, to Kansas State. Uh, I mean, you got Texas and at Oklahoma on the schedule as well. It's going to be really difficult to to. You might look at a TCU team that might struggle to get to a bowl game, which I don't think the folks in TCU and at TCU would necessarily be disappointed by or surprised. I think that's the better word. I don't think they would be surprised by that, uh, especially given all the guys you just listed that they're losing off of that playoff roster. So TCU, I think they're going to be okay. I'm with you. I don't think they're going to be anything solid. Their win total back in May was 7.5. And And if you were asking me right now, that feels high. It does. Yeah, it does feel high. That feels high because... But one of those wins will be Colorado. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they lose to Colorado for whatever reason, then we're talking about a really rough year. And if Colorado beats... We're talking like Mm 4-8, 5-7. And And if Colorado beats TCU, the... The whole world's going to explode because Colorado beat TCU. I don't think they do. And credit to them if they do, right? Because TCU is more talented than Colorado, even with all the guys they lost. As, as we said, they're more talented, and they will be better coached. And I, mean, I, I just want to know how this Colorado team reacts when they start 1-5. When they lose to TCU, when they lose to Nebraska, when they lose at Oregon, USC, at Arizona State, that's when a brutal they, schedule when they, anyway. When they start one and five, how is how is Deion Sanders going to be? We've never seen him be the coach of a losing team that looks like that looks really bad. And I mean, if you lose at Arizona State, which is after a pretty rough stretch, where it's not a give me that you're going to beat Colorado State in week three. If you lose at Arizona State. Is this team going to be capable to get off the mat and beat Stanford? I know Stanford's not good, but like, is it, or is this going to be a situation where they just punt on the year before the off week? Which will be one of the the lingering questions going in to week one and in, in, into the college football season. And you come out of the off week and you're at UCLA, Oregon State, who's going to be pretty good. You've got at Wazoo and at Utah to finish the season. They you have get, a brutal schedule, hey, man. You have an Arizona game in the middle at home. Like, there's a chance that this is catastrophic and they go 1-11-2-10. We'll see. We'll see, man. Colorado and TCU opening up in week one. Again, we're going through uh, betting lines for week zero, week one of college football, uh, according to Circa Sports, a book out in Las Vegas. We'll get through a couple of more uh, really quickly. Alabama favored by 39 over mid Ten State. Uh, Auburn favored by 40 over UMass in game one with a total of 54 and a half. So, uh Look, Auburn is—they're going to beat UMass and supposed to beat them pretty handily. But forty points for a, a team under a brand new head coach seems kind of like a lot. Yeah. Um, although, although I think we we said something similar in twenty twenty one when Auburn was—they were huge favorites over, I believe, Kent State um, in the opening game. And you kind of wondered, like, oh, like is Auburn going to be able? Or is Akron? Is Akron? I think they were something similar, and they won that game sixty to ten because Brian Harson ran at the score. I do think that forty's a lot. I know UMass is a traditionally bottom five FBS program in the country. Um, I just think that there's probably going to be 
a tinge of rustiness, growing pains trying to fit into this new system. There's so many new moving pieces. 40 feels like a lot for Auburn. Yeah, it does. It feels like a lot. Not saying it can't be done, but 40 points for Auburn to win in week one with, as you mentioned, all of the new faces, all the moving parts, a brand new system, we hope, a brand new offensive system, defensive system. Oh, it, it 100% system. is, because yeah. you know it's not going to be the Brian Harson exactly. system. Exactly. It's all, it, it, it's going to take a few weeks for all of this to, to come together, which is why if Auburn goes on the road to Cal and loses or doesn't look good and barely gets out with a win, that's why I don't want Auburn fans to overreact because it's going to take a few weeks for Hugh Freeze and this entire staff and the players to get everything together for all the pieces to properly fit before they really get this thing rolling in 2023. So 40 points, yeah, seems like a lot in week one against UMass. I'm of the opinion you can not be firing on all cylinders and go and beat Cal on the road. Because, look, Cal's, Cal's not a team that scores a lot. They're not a very talented team. You have a significantly more talented roster. Go handle your business. If you do that, then you're 3-0. and Going to Texas A&M, I'm really curious. I, the, the, the most intriguing storyline about the SEC for me this year is what on earth is Bobby Petr- or Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher? What is that marriage going to look like? Yeah, I just I I feel like that has a chance to get really toxic and um really blow up in AM's face, but at the same time, Bobby Petrino is really good offensive mind, and maybe he's the missing piece for the last few years, which would be wild to say. I think it's. There's, it's much more likely that Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino go down in flames together. Speaking of a or A&M. Petrino tries to kick, uh, <laughs> overthrow, kick Jimbo out of the plane and and take over the the controls. What a disaster that would be! What a disaster. Speaking of a And M, they're favored by forty in their week one matchup against New Mexico. A couple of more real quick before we get to break. Uh, Tennessee favored by four touchdowns, twenty eight points over Virginia. They will they will uh, cover that. Tulane in South Alabama. Tulane favored by six. You that's mentioned how, one. That's how, be a really how good, good, good of a game that's going to be. Yeah. Two really good teams at the, at the G5 level. Uh, a big game. Tulane needs to win that because I, I need some momentum going into that <laughs> Ole Miss game. That you are, I've, I've picked that they're going to win. You are speaking that into existence. You're yeah. trying really hard. Some, some other ones that jumped out to me, UTSA-Houston. I think UTSA wins that. It's a pick em. Um SMU is only a 17-point favorite against La Tech. I think they blow the doors off them. I'm not even going to comment on Northwestern at Rutgers because I think that's <laughs> just going to be gross. The over-under is 40-and-a-half, which I think is by think it's eight high. points. Eight points. It is the lowest uh, over-under on this sheet so far. Wow. Uh, LSU is a three-point favorite in the neutral site game against FSU. SMU the game. SMU the game of the week. As a game is going to be awesome. And you like the Seminoles. I do. I think FSU gets that one done. And then I kind of think Clemson's going to get upset by Duke in week one. Really? Wow. I kind of think Duke is – we don't we aren't giving Duke enough credit for what they did in year one, uh, what Mike Elka did. They might have – not when it's all said and done because I think Club Nick's going to be great eventually. But in that game – Riley Leonard is going to be better than Klubnik. 
Could be. And Clemson favored by 12. Is that is that a neutral side or is that at Duke or what is that? I haven't I didn't look where that game is. It's listed on this list as Clemson. It looks like it's Clemson at Duke, but I'll be honest, I haven't looked and seen I what that is. I can't imagine that it is a neutral site game. I would assume it's at Duke. Yep, it's at Duke. How about that? At Duke. Week one, Clemson on the road at Duke. Could be. Could be. Hey, that could be an upset pick of the week. How about that in week one? Yep. Well, I think some really interesting lines on this. Uh, again, Circus Sports released their betting lines for week zero, week one of college football. Wanted to run through that. Auburn favored by 40 in their opening game against UMass here in 2023. We'll take a break, come back, have question of the day before we get Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network on at 3.30. And we'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Question of the day on the other side. You are on the line. On ESPN 1067, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. All right, question of the day here on the Monday edition of On the Line, 334-321-1390. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, We did not get a chance to talk about this late last week. Um, And I know we haven't done our best and worst of the week, and I do want to do that maybe at the end of the show today. but our question of the day, we did not get a chance to talk about this last week when Oklahoma softball won the national championship with a whopping 61-1 record, 53-game winning streak, and a national title. Let me say that again. 61-1. So 61 wins. Undefeated in Big 12 play, too. Undefeated in Big 12 play. One loss to a Big 12 school that they then turned around and beat. 53-game winning streak and a national championship. It opens up a legitimate debate. Was that the most dominant season, single season, by a team in sports history? I think if you, in this discussion, any team that did not win their championship is automatically DQ'd in my mind. So I look at 07 Patriots, 15-16 Warriors, uh, 14-15 Kentucky. Yeah, we've come up with all a hefty those teams. List. I think I, I think you automatically eliminate them, which is crazy. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I agree, but you look at some of those teams: 15-16 Golden State, who broke the all-time wins record at 73 and nine. They lost in the finals when LeBron and Cam- and Kyrie came back from a three-one deficit, which had never been done. Um, you look at. Yeah, I mean, you look at all these these teams that never won the championship, the 07 Patriots going undefeated until the Super Bowl. So I'm with you. I think if you want to be talking, if you want to be talked about as the greatest and dominant season in, in all of sports history, yeah, you have to get the job done, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I I I think when you go down this list of things that we've we've combined here into this list. I think 61-1 in softball, a sport where I feel like it's easier to drop any given game than basketball. It's more impressive than uh, 38-2, 2011-12 Kentucky. Uh, I think because of the era, I think it's more impressive than 75-76 Indiana men's basketball going 30, uh, 32-0. I think the only conversation you have is, and this is because of the scale of what Gino Ariema did at UConn, he had six undefeated seasons. He had two undefeated seasons back to back. I mean, he won seventy-eight games and lost zero times from the start of the o eight or the o eight o nine season to the end of the o nine o ten season. That to me is where you have this discussion. 
I think UConn women's basketball might have a slight edge for me. I like your point about softball because I talk about this quite a bit, how softball and baseball, yes, you... It's it, hard to to only lose one game. Yeah, it's impossible. Because like, it, on any given day, anybody can win. Realistically, and baseball and softball are different than any other sport. I think hockey kind of falls into that too. But yes, over an entire season and even over a weekend, the talent and the coaching will separate itself. But on any given random Wednesday and two teams show up to the ballpark and play... Anybody can win more than than most sports when it comes to baseball and softball. And so going 61 yeah. and 1 and ending on a 53 game winning streak. You won 53 games in a row. That is in your conference, your conference tournament, the NCAA tournament, and the College World Series. And they were down a couple of times, especially late in the in that College World Series run, and yet they never lost. They always won. 53 games in a row and then you cap it off with a national championship and their ace is in the transfer portal today yeah that was really weird that's something that that you don't see very often uh to see a program like that that's been so dominant this coming off maybe the greatest season of all time i think this is i think this is the most dominant season in sports history i really do i don't think it can be touched by a single team i'm going with uconn women's basketball just because it's scalable and how about both of our conversation both of our picks are in women's sports i think that is really really interesting and how it's been dominated in some of these big time sports but when we come back jacob hillman of the auburn sports network will join us you are on the line with jacob goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. He's Carter Bird. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7. Well, as always, on Monday afternoons at 3.30, it's Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. Hillman, are you enjoying the offseason, brother? Yeah, I, I am. This this weekend I got to go play golf. This past week I was able to watch the Braves sweep the Mets. I mean, but things are going well uh, so far this off season. When you uh, so I mean, are are we going to get the golf game? Are we going to break eighty? Are we gonna are we going to shoot par at some point this summer? Breaking eighty is definitely the goal because uh, it. It, it right now high 80s low 90s is is where we're at right now driver needs some work uh irons could use some some polishing so we've got some work to do till we do that but but i feel pretty comfortable that i can do that some point this summer i don't know man i saw that picture of that lie you had where you hit it in and underneath a bush and and i i tried to i tried to, to ask if you hit if save par but it doesn't seem like you have and it looked like you were playing at the u.s open this week uh, yeah, see, that would be – if I were playing at the U.S. Open in that lie, I probably would have made uh, an eight or worse. <laughs> but I was able to manage the bogey that hole, and, and that was part of my driver. The driving was not good. So I, I've got to clean that up and, and be able to score. That, that's what i got to do because I've been able to, to knock some shots close, make some putts, but if I can't make any birdies, then what, what are we doing here? That's right. Well, hey, I know in your off season you have been keeping up with uh, with college baseball. Even though Auburn not in it, you've been keeping up with it. I know you have uh, with Super Regionals coming to an end tonight. You have a couple of more matchups uh, with uh, with a couple. You have Stanford playing tonight against Texas, and then Tennessee and Southern Miss. But what did you see over the weekend from some Super Regional play? As almost all the teams have punched their ticket to Omaha. 
Yeah, man, obviously some of the some of the favorites, I think Wake Forest, LSU, they looked ultra impressive. Uh, I think Wake Forest is one, one of the better offensive teams in the country. You can say what you want about uh, the ballpark uh, up there, but I still think that they uh, really impressed and, and, and should be the favorites going into Omaha. And if you look at LSU, I thought Kentucky was gonna was gonna you know at least win one game and and maybe force a game three. But I mean that game one, obviously LSU jumped right out to an early lead and, and dominated the whole way. And then in, in game two, just kind of uh, obviously Kentucky scored first, but uh, LSU was able to come back and, and and win that one pretty handedly. So. I, I think LSU is reverting back to what it looked like earlier in the season when they were far and away the number one team in the country before Wake Forest had really uh, shown itself. But I think those are kind of the two favorites. But don't shy away from um, a Florida or, or even – I would say that, that Tennessee and Southern Miss winner, I, I like their odds as well uh, going in, into the tournament. I think Tennessee is showing that they can finally win on the road. And obviously, Southern Miss has, has all the momentum and, and the uh, and, and everything they want with their head coach going into his final season. So I, I, I kind of like that group of teams uh, going into Omaha. What do you think about uh, Oral Roberts being the third four seed to make it to Omaha? Well, I, I really like the fact. I think it's the first it's the first non Power Five team since maybe 2017, 2018 to make it to Omaha. I think that is kind of the bigger story here because uh, it. it you see that in basketball all the time with with a single elimination tournament. You see teams make it to the Elite Eight from non-Power Five teams all the time. FAU making it to the Final Four this past year, San Diego State, and, and so on, so on. But obviously, with with college baseball, it's a little different story. So seeing them make it, I think it's great for the game, and I think that uh, also there's an Auburn connection there. Jake McMurray is Cooper McMurray's brother. I think he went four for five in that game last night against Oregon. That that, that was an incredible performance. So. Um, I, I'm happy to see them make it in a little Cinderella run uh, in the college baseball postseason. And not a result, but some news from Alabama baseball today. We know uh, they struggled against Wake Forest this weekend, as most teams have all season long. Uh, but they hired Rob Vaughn, the Maryland head coach. So uh, they went outside of, of the Tuscaloosa chain. They went outside of the Alabama organization. And they went and hired Rob Vaughn from Maryland. Uh, your initial reactions to them hiring a new coach and what that can mean for Alabama moving forward from an Auburn perspective? Yeah, it, it certainly seems like they had their eye on him because of how quickly uh, this deal happened. And Maryland also had uh, already hired its new head coach. So um, this seems like something that's been worked on for a little bit. And I, I, so far in his tenure at Maryland, he's been pretty impressive. He's pretty much improved through his first few seasons and uh, has won back-to-back Big Ten championships. So his resume is pretty solid. But he's a younger guy, so uh, he, he's still learning and and still trying to figure things out. Uh, as far as I look at it, it's, it's Alabama trying to uh, – um, it's, it's similar to basketball where uh, obviously everyone knows about football in this state and, and how important it is, but obviously the other sports at times have struggled in the past, in this really, really in this century. And I just think both teams, both programs keep upping the ante and, and having to force the other to, to, to play another card and, and really try to uh, take it to the next step. And, and for Alabama, obviously, making that super regional, it, it's to make it to Omaha. And Auburn's done that a few times, so uh, the pressure's on. And, and that, that's how I see it uh, from that perspective. 
Should, uh, in your mind, Alabama fans be worried at all by the fact that there's not really any any SEC, any Southeastern ties with Rob Vaughn, whereas had they stayed with the interim, uh, that's somebody who'd been around, been in the state of Florida and Alabama, had been an assistant in Alabama for a decent amount of time. Yeah, that, that, that's tough to say. Obviously, I think I think the advantage here is that he is younger. So without the ties, at least he's younger. He can connect uh, to recruits and, and, and stuff like that. But it, it, it definitely is something that plays factor. But he's still he's still learning and he's still trying to figure things out. Obviously, the, the SEC is a much different animal than the Big Ten. But to go from Big Ten championship two years in a row to the SEC, I think that is a fair step to take. And um, I, I definitely think also in the state of Alabama, whether it's Alabama or Auburn, you're at a bit of a disadvantage recruiting-wise uh, because of the scholarship limits and, and, and things of that nature. Obviously, NIL has helped that out a good bit, but either way, you're going to be at a disadvantage in this state until, until some things change. So um, I, I think either way, it, it, you're going to have to work hard to recruit and, and get guys on campus. Speaking with Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, who joins us every Monday at 3.30 here on On the Line. Switching gears a little bit to Auburn basketball. We had a little news uh, late last week as Auburn picks up a JUCO transfer. Seems like they have uh, maybe filled out the roster coming into 23 and 24. What would you think of the JUCO kid? Yeah, I think that is, like you said, it's filling out the roster. And um, you definitely think that that's just some added depth where – uh, now you're going to have a ton of different lineup combinations, I think, uh, with, with this roster because uh, the, re- the first three guys that you brought in, and Jones, Chad Baker, Mazzara, and Chaney Johnson, seems like they can all play nearly two, three, two through four. I think Johnson can play almost up to the two if he needs to. I don't think that's a position that Auburn wants him to play, but it, it, you just can do a lot of different things uh, with this team and, 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 and the lineups because – you just have a lot of um, uh, versatility, and I think the shooting is is, is what's very impressive oh, yeah. with this entire team because that that is clearly what Auburn has has gone after, and and Bruce Pearl he he knows that's what the fans want, and he knows what this team needs. So uh, I, I, I'm impressed with the way the roster is shaped out, and I think that the the added depth is going to be a big factor this upcoming season. Why do you think that uh, some of these way too early top twenty fives are sleeping on this Auburn team that I think is going to be a top two team in the SEC, in my opinion? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I I try not to take too much into account of those, of those top twenty fives because it, it, it's too early to even. I mean, here's another thing: these guys barely know each other yet. I, they're going through, right now. They're simply bonding. We, we've seen all the lake pictures. We've seen. Uh, them hang out wherever that, but that that's what they're doing right now. Obviously, they're practicing, they're doing workouts, they're doing camps. But I, I think most importantly, right now is the bonding, and and I think once we get into the fall semester, that's when you'll start seeing more, uh, maybe more of a spark or more 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 talk about the team and and how impressive this guy has been or or this guy's improved this and and whatnot. So I think when that happens, you'll start to see. Uh, some more respect for Auburn, but right now it, it, it's I don't really care about that right now to be quite to be quite honest and and I do think that this team is is going to be uh, one of the teams to look out for in the SEC and and will definitely contend for a top four spot like they did this past year. Um, I, I don't 
I think the goal this year is to not be in a position where you're kind of chasing from behind uh, going for that top four spot in the SEC tournament. I think you're, I think you want to be in position that final two or three weeks where you know where you stand and how you can get that top four spot. Hillman, when you look at what Hugh Freeze has been doing with Auburn football over the last couple of weeks, getting the biggest names in the state and from the surrounding states as well to campus, you've seen it over the past couple of weeks, it continues into today, Uh, you've seen the seven-on-sevens in the different camps and, and just so many different recruits flooding to Auburn and being on campus how much different in your eyes, and we, we've all seen it, but just how much of a difference is it from what we saw in the past versus what we're seeing right now when it comes to getting recruits on campus? Yeah, it, it's definitely a different buzz and a different atmosphere and feel here on campus. Uh, I, I mean, just being, being in the Coliseum, it, it's kind of you can see it between the complex and, and the football uh, performance center as well where just different, there's people running around, going to the stadium and whatnot. It is a different feel, it's a different buzz, and and I and I think it's just it it really is different, and I think that uh, over the last few weeks it's been difficult to keep up with who's on campus at what time and whatnot because it, it just seems like a consistent uh, influx of guys, and um, I think more importantly is some of the already committed guys that have been on campus and and at seven on sevens that are are kind of doing their part in the recruiting process and and really showing. Uh, their true commitment to this Auburn football program uh, in the future years and that they want to build something special. They want to build something special in that 2024 and, and beyond class. So uh, that, that's what I've been really impressed by and just seeing uh, how many guys uh, have been on campus in the last few weeks. When you look at this 2023 season, Circus Sports just dropped their week one lines today and they've got Auburn as a 40-point favorite over UMass does that feel a little bit high to you here, uh, considering this is game one under a new head coach and, an, and a new offensive system? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to gauge. And especially with a, a program like UMass that obviously uh, hasn't been uh, up to a lot of standards these, these past few years. So maybe not. Maybe this could be a team where, especially, and it really depends. I don't think this is going to be a game. As long as you go out, you, you, you do some positive things and uh, – and, and you win the game, and, and you win it handedly, I don't think there's going to be too much you can take away from the game. Now, with that being said, uh, I think it is a game that Auburn might come out fired up in, and you know we're getting ahead of ourselves. We don't even know who half the starters are going to be at this point. But, uh, yeah, I th- that, that's, that's a big number, and that, that's kind of lofty expectations. But, uh, I mean, I could see this team coming out being fired up for uh, their new head coach, a, a new season, a new era and going out and, and just dominating. But again, that, that that's that, that's a tough that's a tough number to put on a team uh in its first game of the season uh, no matter who the opponent is. Yeah, and, and man, the thing that I that I talked about today was I mean, look, it's what June 12th today and we're trying to predict what not just Auburn but all of these teams are going to look like in game 1 of the season with all of the changes and every team around the country. I mean, it's pretty tough to predict what a week one game is going to look like. Yeah, for sure. And again, we don't, it, we don't know who the starters are going to be for this team. There's some guys that you can plug in, you can assume, and you, you can pick between one or two guys, or some guys might play an equal number of steps and whatnot and go on and on. But it's still something where 
that week one game is, is the game where you really learn about this team. Now, obviously, I think that this is one of the more unknown teams you could possibly have because of how many new guys there are in. I, I think I, I would imagine probably at least 10, maybe even maybe 11 to 12 of the starters will be guys that transferred in or, or potentially even freshmen because th- this team is just seeing a, a massive turnover uh, in its roster. So it, you really don't know that much about this team. Yeah, you, you know about the individuals, but I don't have – it's hard to gauge anything on this team, especially when uh, we're just in summer workouts. Well, maybe once August comes around, we'll know a little bit more, but right now it, it is tough to tell uh, what this team uh, is going to look like together. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. He joins us every Monday at 3.30 here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7. Hillman, we appreciate you as always. Uh, again, enjoy your off season and uh, maybe get that golf game figured out a little bit, huh? Well, yeah, that, that, that's the goal. Let, let's Maybe if I can get to maybe a five handicap or a little bit lower, that, that might be a fair goal for me to make okay. uh, by the end of the summer. And if we do that, then, then I'm going to feel pretty good about myself. Are we getting a hole in one this this summer, buddy? It, you'll know if you do. If I do, <laughs> you you will know for a fact because that that will be the the that will be. I won't say it's the greatest moment of my life to this point, but it'll be close to it. I don't know, man. I'd I'd put it probably top of my list. <laughs> I'd put it I, top I, of my I list. Think- it, it might be a 1A, 1B thing. We'll, we'll see. There you go. Well, hey, man, we appreciate you as always. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you guys have going on to the Auburn Sports Network. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Jacob Hillman AU and follow the Auburn Sports Network at AU Sports Network on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, it, it, it is the off season, so we're getting prepped for football. Can't wait for it. Yep. Hey, man, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week, all right? All right, thank you guys. War Eagle. That is Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. Again, he joins us every Monday at 3.30 here on On the Line. We'll take our final break, come back, wrap it up, and before the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. All that coming up on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7. Big thank you to Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network for joining us, uh, even though he he may have been on the golf course. I don't know. There's probably have been. There may be a time this summer where we call him, and he is, in fact, on the golf course, and you, you hear him set his phone down on the tee box, and you hear the, the swing of the golf club in the background. But, uh, no, we appreciate him joining us as Auburn Athletics are uh, – they have come to an end, but we will uh, – don't worry. Football season is right around the corner, and so – uh, before we get out of here, Carter, we have not had a chance to do this today, and we always do on Mondays, and I want us to have uh, a chance to do it. have just a few minutes uh, before we get out of here. Best and worst from the weekend, really quick, on a Monday. Best and worst things in sports that you saw this weekend. Uh, I'll give mine really quickly. The best thing I saw was a Canadian winning the Canadian Open yesterday in golf where they went through what was – one of the craziest weeks in golf history because of the live and PGA yep. news. Uh, but you had a Canadian win the Canadian Open, and then one of his best friends is on the green, runs out there with a bottle of champagne, is what it looked like, and was shaking it up and you know spewing it everywhere, celebrating. And security 
plummeted him into the ground. I mean, just absolutely yeah. speared the guy and put him straight into the earth. Uh, it turns out he was one of his best friends. So security did their job, but that guy got got the uh, short end of the stick trying to celebrate his buddy winning. And so I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was funny. I felt bad for him, but he's fine. Uh, and then the worst thing I saw was on Friday night in Miami for Game 4 of the NBA Finals. Conor McGregor was there, and he was doing a skit I guess during halftime or a timeout with the Miami Heat uh, mascot where he was like punching him but wasn't obviously wasn't supposed to actually punch him super hard. Yeah, Conor McGregor, the former UFC fighter, uh, put the heat mascot in the emergency room. So, so yeah, yeah I, I guess I he went that. too far or whatever. But yeah, the guy went to the emergency room. I think he's okay too, but it's like, come on, man. Like, like. Whose idea was it to have Conor McGregor, a UFC fighter, step out there and fake punch a mascot? Like, come on, man. Uh, I'm going to say the, like, ridiculous brawl that we saw at the end of the NHL, uh, the Stanley Cup uh, game the other night where um, Florida was trying really hard to tie it, got really close, uh, and then everybody just fought each other. I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, Yeah, I guess worst, I mean... Best and worst at the same time. Um, poor Adam Hadwin, who um, just thought he was celebrating with his buddy. And then next thing he knows, he's staring up at the sky. Um, glad he's okay. That would have been horrible if that security guard hurt Hadwin. Um, but yeah, no, I think that, that it's certainly kind of been more of a low-key weekend i think he, you got to give props to oral roberts being the third four seed to make it to omaha uh you got to start there uh as well and then uh just the dominance and how crazy good that wake forest lineup is hitting nine home runs a record for an ncaa tournament game uh as they beat alabama 22 to 5 credit to the security guard form was fantastic Form was great. He lowered the shoulder, wrapped him up, and put him into the earth, man. It was fantastic. And he was doing his job, technically. He technically did his job. Now, he just didn't know that the dude was a friend, but he did his job. So credit to him. Uh, U.S. Open this week for golf. We'll talk about it uh, coming up this week. It should be very, very interesting to see all the storylines and all the, the tension between Liv and PGA and whoever else wants to be involved. So should be a lot of fun. Hey, we had a great show today. If you missed any of it, talked college baseball, football, uh, talked with Jacob Hillman from the Auburn Sports Network as well. If you missed any of it, be sure to go and listen to the podcast today tomorrow whenever you want to espnau.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast but hey tune in nba finals game five tonight right here on espn 1067 6 30 the nuggets going for their first ever nba championship we'll talk about that tomorrow as well two to four right here on espn 1067 until then stay safe i'll talk to you later